0: First Kings chapter
1: number two, one with his desires. First First Kings Kings chapter two, thank you for taking our sons to the the wilds and for planning everything and organizing everything. Rianne, thank you as well. And um, Anthony, thank you for being willing. I think he's already escaped with the juniors. And then um, Ernie Dean, where are you at? There you are. It's hard to pick you out of the crowd with the beard that long. Thank you for going. I, had, I got a kick out of uh, the video that was sent of you sawing, cross-cutting. You were the perfect lumberjack <laughs> mascot for the entire week. But um, Ernie, thank you for all that you do, taking care of, maintenance our vehicles for a trip like that. I have to say, I don't know if I was surprised that the bus made it there and back, but when I was in Pastor Scott's youth group, we broke down all over the United States. <laughs> So you you weren't around for that. So thank you for all the work you do. Thanks for taking a vacation week to take our young people to hear God's word. And good job, teens, giving your testimonies. You did a great job. So it's not easy to speak to. This is a great group to speak to, but it's not easy to speak up in front of them, is it? You did a great job. I'm so excited for how God worked in your hearts and lives. And um, um, if God worked in your heart this week, it's because it's by his word and his spirit, because he loves you and because you you were receptive to what he was saying to you through his word. So keep being receptive. okay? keep being receptive. Let him teach you through his word. First Kings chapter two is where we're at. Today's Father's Day. Now, what does that mean? Father's Day. Well, for some, I suppose that'll mean maybe you're getting your favorite meal for lunch. Um, You'll get some cards perhaps as dads saying thank you. Maybe you won't get a card. No, None of us get flowers as dads. Um, One dad told me this morning that Father's Day, he's cooking lunch. And he's got a to-do list to get done. I'm not going to name that man publicly for fear that it could get worse for him on Father's Day. But, uh, no, I'm teasing. But he's being, he's being a father. He's doing what, he, what fathers do. Uh, I'm thankful for my dad. I'm thankful for the father that he continues to be to me and the father he was to me as a young man. Um, what, what are the, what's a desire? What are the desires that a father has for his children? What does a dad want for his children? You know, advice that a father gives to his children, and we as dads, we that's part of being a dad, to give advice to our children. And um, my dad gave advice to me, but the advice that a dad gives to his children always comes from the desire that the father has for his children. But we we as dads, we, we share... Our desires. We communicate our desires or, uh, to our children out of a heart for that's what we des- that's what we long for them. That's what we want for them. In First Kings chapter two, David is at the end of his life. He's reigned for forty years as king of Israel, and the last words recorded for us of Dick, King David are words of uh, him communicating his desire to his son Solomon who is now the king at that time. And uh, David, the father, is communicating his desires to his son. I can remember many times my dad communicating his desires to me. He would regularly do so. Um, sometimes he had me in, a, in the vehicle and I was trapped. I could not escape. I can remember one particular conversation. We were on, uh, I believe it was Kelly Road, On the dirt part of Kelly Road, there was a farm field between where we were parked on the side of the road and our house. And I can remember looking out the window and we were pulled over. We were stopped. Dad was talking to me. I won't tell you about what. And I could see the roof of our house from where we were. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I could get there before he did. You know, I, I literally thought about jumping out and running back home, you know, as my dad was talking to me. He's here this morning. So some of those conversations were encouraging and strengthening. Some of those were a little awkward for me to hear my dad, though in wisdom, talking to me about things that I needed to hear talk to about. Sometimes there was rebuke in those conversations. I jotted down a few things that my dad would talk to me about and has talked to me about over the years. One was about being a godly man, um, following the Lord, purity, um, being a hard worker, being thorough in doing a job, being responsible, upholding the family name, and seeking the Lord—I just jotted down a few. My dad did a great job communicating with me as a young man, and uh, he still does. Heather's here. How often does Dad call you a week? It just—it just depends. He goes on spurts, you know, and you might get two or three a day, or you might get two or three a week. I don't know, but he's a good does a good job communicating. Still does that. Look at our text. First Kings chapter two. I'll begin reading in verse number one. I'll read down through verse four and then we'll pray. The Bible says, now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon. The word charged means commanded. He charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, With all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. And he's talking about the Davidic covenant. So in these verses, and there are more we'll look at this morning, we have a father, a godly man, not a perfect man, but a godly man who feared the Lord, um, in his final words, communicating to his son. And what are the desires that I see That David had for his son. And I think these are desires that as fathers here this morning we ought to have for our children. So we could ask ourselves the question, do we have the right desires for our children? Are we desiring the right things um, so that those would be our desires for them as well? Let's pray and we'll look at God's word. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a glorious gift it is to us. Lord, I thank you that it is true, that in it there is no error. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak by your word to our hearts this morning. I thank you for the dads in this room. I know many of them, and I know how deeply they love their children. Our hearts have been blessed this morning by our children's testimonies. Thank you for working in their lives. What a comfort that is to us as dads that uh, you are working in our children. You are drawing them to yourself. You are convicting them. You are encouraging them. You love them. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to be the dads that you have commanded us to be and instructed us to be. So teach us, encourage us, I pray this morning as we look at your word. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, David here, he's at the end of his life and he's speaking to the heir of the throne. Right. Uh, Solomon is has taken the throne and really David speaks incredibly plainly in these verses. And we haven't read all of them and that we're going to look. We'll begin reading in verse five in just a moment. But you'll notice that David speaks very, very plainly to his son, Solomon. And, you know, death has a way of helping us prioritize things as we go through life. We find ourselves cheering and, and uh, uh, involved in entertainment and uh, work, you know, things of life, responsibilities of life. And, and there and there are things that we desire and sometimes that can turn into covetousness. But even good things can distract us. And death has a way of bringing us back to what is and what ought to be the priority of our lives. And I think David was there. He's at the end of his life. He knows He does not have long. I believe he was close to Solomon, his son. I believe he loved him very deeply. And knowing he's at the end of his life, he speaks very plainly to his son Solomon. Uh, When we're at the end of our lives or considering death, the things that we thought were important aren't as important anymore. And David's lived a long life, 40 years as king. That's a long time. He is, uh, he's made some terrible mistakes, um, but he's also had some wonderful successes as well. And in David's last recorded words to Solomon, he gives him some very practical advice. Look at verse number five, and it's very practical, specifically for Solomon. I'll read down through verse nine. He says, moreover, thou knowest also th- what uh, Joel, the son of Zeruiah, did to me and what he did. To the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner the son of Ner, and unto Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war and peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his forehead or gray head go down to the grave in peace. David is saying, you're going to have to use wisdom on this, but I recommend that you... You uh, kill him, okay? Verse 7, look at, again, this is very specific from David to his son Solomon, who's now the king. He says, but show kindness unto the sons of Berzeliah and the Gil- uh, Gileadite, and let them be of uh, of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Beruam, Which cursed me with with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put put thee to death with the sword. Now, therefore, hold him not guiltless. For thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his forehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. Wow. I mean, this is what do we you say? Seth, what are you what are we preaching here tonight? Other this is the Father's Day message. And hear this that these were final words of David to his son Solomon. What, what is what are we talking about here? We'll we'll develop that as we go along this morning. But in verses five down through verse nine, we find some advice from the king to the one who is now the king. Uh, advice of a godly father to his son, advice that a father gives to his children always comes from the desires of that father for his children. And let's look at these desires that David had, desires that I think ought to be in each one of us as men in this room, as dads in this room. Number one, be strong in the face of opposition. This is the advice of a godly father to his children. The advice of a godly father to his children ought to be, be strong in the face of opposition. You're going to face opposition, son. You're going to face opposition, daughters. Be strong in the face of opposition. Look at verse number two again. He says, I go the way of of all the earth. He says, I'm going to die. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Show thyself a man. Evidently, King David and his son Solomon were close. David seems to insinuate that his death is going to have a great effect on Solomon. You see there in verse 2 where he says, be strong, therefore. In other words, in light of the fact that I'm about to die, you're going to need to be strong. I think King David knew that his death was going to affect his son. His son was, his son was going to be able to mourn, but he was going to need to be strong as he faced his father's passing. He says, be strong, therefore, and David is exhorting his son to be strong in character, be strong in character. Uh, But then David makes an an interesting statement in that verse. Look at verse two. He says, and show thyself a man. We sang the song. uh, He just needs a few good men. There is a need for good men in the day in which we live. There is a need for men. Who are strong, who meant for men who have wisdom and I mean wisdom from the Lord, wisdom from above. There's a need that uh, wives have to be married to men who have strong character, who love God supremely. Our children, fathers need us as dads to love the Lord supremely, to worship him alone. Our, our society needs this in the day in which we live. It's not something new. It's not a new need. It's what and who God has created us and saved us to be. And he tells his son, show yourself a man, Solomon. And that has the sense of being wise. It has the sense of being courageous. It has the sense of being mature. Growing up. And now now Solomon has been a king for just a short period of time at this point, and he really hasn't faced that much opposition. And David, who had reigned for 40 years, knows for his son that the opposition is coming. And so David wisely exhorts his son to be strong in the face of the opposition. And the godly father wants his children to mature. We do. Sometimes I think dads, we want our children to grow up too fast. Ian, do you remember when you were learning how to ride a bicycle and I took you into the backyard and propped you up on a bike that was too big for you and I would run as fast as I could with you on it, probably scared to death, and just push you and yell, pedal, pedal, as you crashed over and over again. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, Sometimes we as dads want our children to grow up a little bit too quick. Um, I suppose that's true, but... There's a need for dads. We, we, we ought to want our children to mature and to grow up. It's kind of sad. I, Olivia's going into seventh grade, and Tori, you know, is almost as tall as her mom now. And, and I'll tease them and I'll say, I'll say, Have you seen my little girl with pigtails? She's about this tall. I saw her not long ago. Have you seen her? And they'll be like, Dad, that's me. You know. So we want our children to grow up. We ought to the same time, as fathers, it's it's hard for us, isn't it, to watch them grow up? We'd like to go home. They tease me sometimes. I think they do it just because they know I like it and miss it. When I walk in the house, when they were little, I they'd all say, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. They'd, one would be jumping up and down, you know, and the other one would run up and they'd grab my leg. You know, sometimes we'd all fall into a pile and begin to wrestle, and uh, and I, I, I got wind that I missed that. and So now when I go home, sometimes Tori and Olivia will say, Daddy's home, and they'll jump on me, which— you know, I'm as strong as I ever was, of course, but, but uh, it has a different effect on me, you know. But we ought to want our children to grow up. It's, it's something that is right for a father to want that. Show thyself a man, he tells his son. You're not a boy anymore. You're not a boy anymore. You're a man. You need to act like a grown up. You need to exercise wisdom. You need to be mature. And as a child grows in a maturity, they grow in wisdom and they grow in courage. The Bible tells us in many places to be wise. It tells us in James to ask for wisdom. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. You ought to ask for it. And this isn't this may be Father's Day and this message may be geared toward fathers. But every single believer in this room, we ought to ask God for wisdom. And I think we ought to ask for him for wisdom on a daily basis. Um, we get up oftentimes thinking we know what the day is going to bring. But and then seemingly we're surprised every day that something happened that we didn't expect. Well, we, we ought to ask God for wisdom, Lord. Give me wisdom from you today for what I'm going to face today. And, and, and that's something that pastors, we ought to pray for. But it's, it's something that other men and ladies in this church ought to pray for. Moms ought to pray for that. Give me wisdom uh, today as I interact with my children. Grandmothers can pray that way. Grandpa- our grandparents can pray that way. Uh, men in business can pray that way. Lord, give me wisdom today. We know that the Bible says that Solomon was a wise man. In verse 6, the beginning part, you see there, David tells his son, Do therefore according to thy wisdom. Down in verse 9, the beginning part, David again says to his son, Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. So King David could already see that his, his son Solomon had wisdom, and I think that's wonderful for us as dads to be able to look at our children and say, Wow, I'm seeing them. They're starting to have wisdom. And and David could see that. But what is wisdom? Well, Job in verse 28, verse 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 28 says, uh, it, it gives us a definition of wisdom. It says this, And unto man, God said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord. There's a reverence for him, but there's an awe for him. There's also a fear of him. And and God says, Behold, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, the fear of Jehovah, that is wisdom. Knowing, living my life, knowing that I'm going to give an account to God for how I'm living my life leads to wisdom. Living my life every day, knowing that God is present with me. He's everywhere at once, leads to wisdom. Living my life every day, knowing that God is, knows everything he knows my thoughts he knows my failures he knows my successes living my life knowing who god is fearing him being in awe of him god knows everything he's everywhere at once and i'm going to give an account to him for every word that i've spoken in this life that leads to wisdom very very practical as it's written in job in psalm 111 in verse 10 the bible says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's one thing to have a lot of knowledge, but it's another thing to have wisdom that's from God. Uh, In fact, I'll read from James chapter 3. I'll take just a moment to turn there, but in James chapter 3, the Bible talks a lot about wisdom. It talks about our tongues. And in James chapter 3, the Bible actually helps us understand that there are two different kinds of wisdom from two different places. Um there's such a thing as wisdom from below, a uh, worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom leads us to believe if you can get away with it, you've succeeded. If your parents didn't catch you, you, you succeeded. If your employer doesn't catch you, you succeeded. If you, if, you, if, you, if you made money off the deal, even though you robbed someone to do it, hey, worldly wisdom says you're a success. But there's another kind of wisdom James tells us about, and it's called wisdom that is from above. Wisdom that's from above. And I think, I don't know that it needs to be said, but as God's people, we ought to have wisdom that's from above. Listen as I read in James chapter 3, and we see here these two different kinds of wisdom. I'll read in verse 13. It says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge... Got a lot of knowledge among you let him show out of a good conversation the way you live your life his works with meekness of wisdom but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts glory not and lie not against the truth this wisdom descendeth not from above but is earthly sensual, devilish. Do you know that there's a kind of wisdom that God says is worldly, earthly, it's sensual, it's of the flesh, and it is devilish, it's satanic. There's the kind of wisdom like that. How many of us as God's people ought to have that kind of wisdom? No. And what does that wisdom look like? Well, he he told us in verse 14, it has bitter envying and strife in our hearts. Bitterness, envy, strife, Wow, the world is full of that kind of wisdom. You know you see someone succeed and you kind of and this kind of wisdom is covetous and annoyed and frustrated and maybe even full of hatred and bitterness. that that's worldly wisdom. It's satanic. It has no place in the church. Now this other kind of wisdom, though, listen as I read, he says, or, or verse sixteen says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And every evil work. And some, some marriages are, are uh, like that. Worldly wisdom. Well, I'll, I'll never forgive you for that. That's worldly wisdom. Um, oh, I'll make you pay for that. It's, it's just a terrible way to live. But he says in verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above, so not of this earth, is first pure, Then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. There are two different kinds of wisdom. And and I would ask you, I I would even go so far as to say this. Everybody here is living, is making decisions, living according to wisdom. The question is, what kind of wisdom? What kind of wisdom are you living according to? Are you living according to the, the wisdom of this, of this world? Or are you living according to the wisdom that is from above, that comes from the Holy Spirit, that comes from the Word of God? So the fear of the Lord only produces one kind of wisdom, and that is wisdom that is from above. Back in First Kings chapter 2, and that's where I'm going to be, uh, but... Even after that, in chapter 3, the Bible tells, for, tells us that King Solomon was known as the wisest man to ever live. And God, you remember in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, and you can read about it, God asked Solomon what he would like. And Solomon did not choose wealth. He did not choose. Um, he did not choose long life. He chose wisdom. And God gave him all of that. <laughs> But he chose wisdom. Now, if you know anything about King Solomon, he made some really bad decisions too. And there were times when Solomon operated with wisdom that was from God. And there were times, other times, where King Solomon used his wisdom, his God given wisdom for himself selfishly. And it caused tremendous harm to the kingdom of, of Israel. Ultimately it brought, it brought great destruction. But but King David's talking to his son. He's saying, be strong in the face of opposition. He's saying, be wise. He's saying, be be courageous. You know, it's one thing to know what we ought to do. Wisdom is, is seeing the issue, seeing the problem, having not only understanding, but knowing how to apply truth to the situation. So that's wisdom. It's one thing to know what we ought to do. It's another thing to do what we know we ought to do. Have you ever been there where you know what to do? But, wow, you're just you're stressed or you're full of anxiety because you're going to have to do this. And it's going to maybe make someone mad or anger, or people may not understand this. Uh, and so it's one thing to know what we ought to do. It's an entirely another matter to do what we know what we ought to do. And that's courage. And as David is talking to his son, he's saying, um, be a man. Be wise, but you need to be courageous, Solomon. You're going to have to have courage. And the first desire of a godly father, we notice in our text, is be strong in the face of opposition. And he says, show. You see the word show, and that means to demonstrate. And David wants Solomon to demonstrate strength. Be strong. Dads, you ought to, you ought to be strong. You ought to be strong in the Lord. You ought to be strong in his word. Your, your fellowship with the Lord ought to be strengthening. It ought to be getting stronger. And it can be. Do you desire that? Uh, and David's saying, I want you to show and demonstrate strength. Solomon would need to show that he was wise, and he was going to need to show that he was courageous, that he was willing to do hard things. Look back over at verse 5, would you? This is a little bit unique. But look at verses 5 and 6. He says, moreover, thou knowest also what uh, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war and peace and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore, according to thy wisdom, and let not his forehead or gray head Go down to the grave in peace. Joab was David's nephew. I don't know if you remember this or not, but Joab was David's nephew. And Joab had been David's trusted general for years. And Joab was no slouch when it came to war. He did not mind shedding blood. Okay. And over time, Joab became disloyal to David. In a way, I think Joab's disloyalty to David grew when he thought he knew better than David. And Joab disobeyed King David order, David's order to spare Absalom's life. You remember Absalom, David's son, had tried to overthrow his father's kingdom as a result of David's sin. And, and Absalom was riding through a wooded area and his hair was long and it got caught in a tree and he's hanging there. And King David had told all of his men, don't touch my son. You do not kill him. And Joab, 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 uh, Had him killed. He he took his life. And over time, Joab became disloyal to King David. And Joab is disobeying David's orders. And Joab, on another occasion, tried to make Adonijah king instead of Solomon. He, again, going against King David, Joab had unlawfully and cruelly murdered Abner, King Saul's cousin and commander. And in his old age, Joab had become a loose cannon who was neither loyal to King David or Solomon. He was a man who was loyal to himself. He thought he knew what was best, and he was trying to take the reins and do whatever he wanted. And King David says to his son Solomon, in essence, Joab is not a man that you can trust. He's not a man that you can trust. He's going to work his angles. He's going to do his things, and he will be a detriment to your kingdom. He needs to die. And Joab was a wicked man. He deserved deserved that. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei the son of Gira, a Benjamite of Berurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Machinaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan. I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now, therefore, hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his forehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. Wow, this seems a little extreme, doesn't it? King David, I mean, here you are, your, your last words. But David, in his, in his dying moments, he remembers back to the time of Absalom's rebellion again. And at that time, there was this man, Shimei, and he had publicly, Shimei had publicly and defiantly sided with Absalom against David. He had worked to overthrow King David's kingdom. And after Absalom's rebellion against his father had been put down, Shimei came back to David, and he prof- prof- professed his loyalty to David, And in response, David had graciously told him, I'm not going to take your life. As David is here on his deathbed, he's talking to his son Solomon. He remembers Shimei and he thinks Shimei is not a man that my son can trust. And just as Shimei turned against me and tried to overthrow my kingdom, Shimei will do the very same thing to your kingdom, Solomon. You have wisdom. I promise to spare his life, but you should not. I think as fathers, we ought to communicate to our children what our children face. That there are obstacles in life. There, that there are, that there, uh, the world in which we live is not necessarily a friendly world. That there are dangers. We need to communicate to our children that there is um, one who hates them and wants to destroy them in the, the evil one himself. And as a roaring lion... He walked about seeking whom he may devour. And some things that seem to be so enticing and so wonderful and bring us such joy or, or uh, pleasure in a moment absolutely are opposed to us and will bring great destruction. And David is outlining for King Solomon. You need to be strong in the face of opposition. And it's going to require wisdom and it's going to require courage. So be strong in the face of opposition. Number two. The desire of a father is keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God. You may want to write it down a little bit differently. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Look at verse number three. In chapter two, verse number three, the Bible says this. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. That's a lot, he says there, isn't it? Statutes and commandments. I think David was uh, referring to the comprehensive law of Moses, but not just the ceremonial regulations for Israel, but also, more importantly, the moral and spiritual and judicial laws of God that God had given to His people. Testimonies refer to the truth regarding God. Walk in that. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Walk in His ways. Keep His statutes. Keep His commandments. Keep His judgments. Keep His testimonies. You know, I look at fathers in this room, and some of you have sons Uh, These are the things that we need to teach our children. We need to teach my sons, Ian and William and my daughters, walk in God's statutes. Keep his law. Obey his commands. Love his word. Learn it. You know, it really is impossible to keep something that we don't know. And that is why it is, this, it is so important. And, and so many of us in this room have been given such a blessing, me in particular, to be able to grow up in church where I was hearing the word of God taught from a boy, from a young child, not only by my parents, but they also put me in a place to hear the word of God taught in Sunday school and on Wednesday nights and, and in the home. You know, uh, so if you've been given that, um, obey God's words. Obey His words, love his law. And maybe you're here this morning, and you say, Pastor Ferguson, I was never given that. I didn't come to know the Lord until I was an adult. i never I never sat in Sunday school. In fact, Pastor Ferguson, you you talk about some of these Bible stories, and they're always new to me. I've never heard them before. You have God's word, you need to begin to read it. You need to take every opportunity to put yourself under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Come to Sunday school. Adult Sunday school come faithfully every week on Sunday morning to gather with God's people to hear God's word. Come on Sunday nights. Come on Wednesday nights and hear the word of God. Hear the word of God. Grow in the word of God. See, if we're unwilling to know the commandments of God, it's really impossible to keep them. In Deuteronomy six. The Bible tells us as parents, it gives us some instructions. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 3, the Bible says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I have commanded thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And how is that possible? The next verse tells us, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them with thy children when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. God told Israel, He said, "Uh, This is what you need to do. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. All thy might. But then he says, you need to teach your children diligently these things. When, well, when do I do that? You do it when you're walking in the way. So if I'm out with Will and we're working in the, in the yard or something, we're burning some brush or maybe uh, skimming the pool for bugs or whatever it is, uh, there ought to be some conversation. The Lord ought to come up in conversation. I remember when my children were little and I would hold them. And if it were a clear night, I'd go out, you know, and I'd say, look at the moon, you know, and they could say moon or whatever. And I'd say, who made the moon? God made the moon. Of course, sometimes everything was Jesus. The answer to everything was Jesus. You know, Jesus did this and that and everything else. But what was I doing? I was teaching my children and I still need to do that. And again, Dad, thank you. And Mom, thank you for taking time to have those conversations with me as a boy. All the way up into a man. And my dad still calls me and he still, he'll ask me how I'm doing. Everything from, are you, have you walked a half an hour today? Or, thank you, Dr. Norell. Um, or "Or have how are, are you eating, drinking what you should? You know, Or cardiovascular this and that. And, and then he'll talk to me about spiritual things sometimes. He's still being a father to me. I want to pause for just a moment and say this on Father's Day. God, some of you here, you do not have a father. Or you don't know your father. And God promises in his word that he will be a father to the fatherless. And that's something you have to come to terms with. Well, I can't. He doesn't call me on my cell phone like your dad does. No, but he's given you his word. And he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. And he knows you. He knows you better than my dad knows me. My dad knows me pretty well. Better than I may like to admit. But God knows you and he is faithful to you and he loves you. And he and he will not leave you. And he suffers long with you when you do not honor him. He suffers long with you. So we have to know the commandments. We have to know the commandments of the Lord. You know that the commandments of the Lord will bring good success. They'll bring great reward in our lives. In Psalm 19, the Bible speaks. Uh, the Bible speaks of of God's word. And listen to what it says. I think it's verse 11. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they, speaking about the, the word of God, than gold. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And then it says this. Moreover, by them, the word of God is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Pastor Ferguson, I don't understand why you put so much effort into the Bible. You know, Pastor Ferguson, I know you talk talk about your parents. They had you in Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday nights and Wednesday night. You know, Being transparent, I loved it. Uh, I also remember a Sunday night where my dad had to reach under the pew in front of us. We had pews at that time and pull me out by my leg. Okay, I was just a little guy. And then he took me downstairs. We were living in Adrian at that time. He took me downstairs and he found something that acted as a rod. Okay, he did not beat me, but he spanked me. That was the last time I remember getting spanked while attending church. okay. Thankfully, that doesn't happen often to us. Um, I can remember Cindy on Sunday nights, seeming like two times every Sunday night, it seemed like she was taking William out, her little redhead. And you probably, if you sat in this region of the auditorium, he probably was glaring at you as she carted him out, you know. But he's becoming a young boy, a young man who loves coming and gathering. I'm saying that to some young families here. And you say, well, my, my child's not like you were, Pastor Ferguson, he can't sit still. I don't think I could sit still either. I know some of my kids can't sit still, but they've had to be taught this. Okay, you have to teach your children this. You have to lead them to love the Lord. And then we have to trust the Lord to work in their lives. And they themselves have a responsibility to respond to the word of God and to begin to love the word of God themselves. But keep the charge of the Lord thy God. That's what King David tells Solomon. You need to know the commandments of the Lord. You need to obey those commandments. Joshua 1 in verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The principle that God will bless those who obey his word is true to this day. God, this is a 100% statement. God always blesses his word. There are times in my life where I find myself outside of God's blessing. And you know why? Because I'm not taking him at his word. Whenever I take God at his word, his blessings always flow out on me. It doesn't mean that life is always easy. It doesn't mean I don't get sick. It doesn't mean that I don't have flesh and struggle with discouragement. No, but he always blesses his word. Always, always, always does he bless his word. And so I want to know his word. And and I do, even though my flesh doesn't, I want to submit to his word. I want to obey his word because I know he always blesses his word. And David, as he's saying to his son, he's saying, keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Obey God's word. Why? Why? David was saying to his son, because God always blesses his word, Solomon. There's one more desire of a father, a godly father to his son. Number one, be strong in the face of opposition. Number two, keep the charge of the Lord thy God. And number three, and finally, continue in God's word. Continue in it. Look at verse four. Verse four of 1 Kings chapter two. He says that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me. And what is he saying by that? Uh, Solomon, you continue in God's word so that God will do what he said he will do. And what had he said? If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, said God, a man on the throne of Israel. God's words describe his ways. God's word tells us what he will do. God's word tells us what he has done in the past. And David's referring to the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God had made with him about the throne of Israel. And, and the word continue there is used in conjunction with the Lord, not Solomon. And I see that. But according to the context in verse four, God will continue to uphold his end of the covenant as long as David's children uphold their end of the covenant. And so David acknowledges that. He says God will do what he said he will do if you will continue in what God has told you to do. God will bless you if you will obey him and you will follow him. What is the desire of a godly father? What was David's desire for Solomon? Look at verse four, the middle part. He says, um, if thy children take heed to their way. What does he mean there? He's saying, what does he mean by take heed to their way? Uh, it means consider the path that you're on. Consider consider the path that you're on. Now, we, when we think about this, consider the path that you're on. I think we in our minds might think of a crossroads. Four-way intersection, we're where they are to stop motionless. That's not what this means. It means the inference is you're already on a path. You're, you're in motion. You're going somewhere right now. You're already, you're in motion. You say, I'm I'm hungry right now, Pastor. But no, I'm you're in motion. You are moving somewhere. And David says to King Solomon cons- to, to, about his children, encourage them to consider the path that they are on. Take heed to your way. And I would ask you the question this this morning, what path are you on right now? You're on a path. It's going to end. It's going to bring results. Are you on the right path? Consider the path that you're on. Now, we know that several of David's children had not done this. They had not taken heed to the path that they were on. King David's son, Amnon, raped his sister, David's daughter, Tamar. They did not take heed to the path that they were on. King David's son Absalom killed Amnon for raping his sister Tamar. And Absalom tried to overthrow the kingdom of David. Adonijah tried to be king instead of Solomon. So these aren't trite words that David was speaking. He's saying to them, life is going to fly by. You're going to be making all kinds of decisions. Some of those decisions are big and some of those decisions are, seem to be small. Society is going to be changing around you. Culture is continually shifting. You're going to be busy. You're not going to have time. But don't forget to stop and consider the path that you're on. You're moving. Young parents, you are parenting a certain way. You are not stationary. Are you parenting your children the way in which God will bless your children? Teenagers, you made some great decisions this past week. You heard the word of God. And as you go forward from this point, you need to keep considering what path am I on? The actions that I'm doing, the things that I'm partaking in, the music that I'm listening to, the things that I'm laughing at. If I continue on this path, where is it going to end? Am I on the path that God wants me to be on? Look around you. Where you end up is determined by the path you are on right now. And then he says, walk in the truth. Look at verse four. The middle part again, he says to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul. What is the desire of a godly father to his children? Well, consider the path that you're on. And walk in the truth. Walking seems to be boring, doesn't it? Not to some of us. Um, Mrs. Jennings, after the accident, is it good to walk again? Yeah, it's good. After being in a wheelchair for all that time? <clears throat> after a softball game on Monday night? Um, Mr. Harney, is it good to walk the next day? Painful, right? But you can walk, you know? Um, when we were younger, though, you could go out and play whatever you wanted. There was no, it didn't seem to affect. I always kind of thought walking was boring. Dad would say, hey, let's go for a walk. You know, can you roll a ball in front of me so I can chase it around, you know, in those days? Um, walking is not normally considered an overly exciting activity. But David is reminding his son of God's desires. And he's reminding Solomon, keep walking in what God has said. Walk in the truth. That's an Old Testament truth, by the way. Walk in the truth. And it's a New Testament truth. And it may, it may seem boring to walk. But what David is communicating is a need for consistency. Walk, take another step, one step after another. And just in case Solomon or any of us think this walk in truth is boring or unimportant, notice what he says there in the middle of verse 4. He says that we're to do it with all of our heart and with all of our soul. Walk in the truth. Walk in the truth daily, one step after another in the truth. With all of your heart. With all of your soul. In Colossians 3.23, the Bible says, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, that is, with all of your heart, as unto God and not unto man. What path are you on this morning? What path are you on this morning? Is it a godly path or is it your path? You're all You're all operating according to wisdom. I am too. Is it wisdom that's from above or is it wisdom from below? You say, uh, my my father wasn't like your father, Seth. He never gave me godly counsel. But if you're a born again believer, you have a father who knows everything about you and he wants what's best for you. And he is leading you by his spirit in your life. And he's giving you your word, his word, and that he will bless you if you will follow him in his word. Will you accept his invitation to follow him and love him and walk in the truth with all of your heart, with all of your soul? Solomon, the Bible describes as the wisest man that ever lived. He made a lot of wise decisions. He made a lot of bad ones. At the end of his life, Solomon wrote these words. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This was after a lot of concubines and a lot of wives and a lot of, praise and applause from the world at his kingdom the man accomplished almost everything at the end of his life his conclusion was fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil The motivating factor behind the desires of a godly father are that God's promises will be accepted or accomplished in the life of our children. What what would lead a father to desire our children to be strong in the face of opposition, to keep the charge of the Lord, and to continue in his word? Our desire for those things is that God would accomplish his will in our children dads, can I ask you this? Do you really want God's will, God's word to be accomplished in your children? Do you really want your kids to love God or to love your idols? What do you want? David served idols in his life. And he was a man after God's own heart. He came, he kept coming back to the Lord. The end of his life, he said to his son, his desires. He spoke those desires to his son. What are your desires for your sons, for your children? Do you desire God's will for your kids? And are we dads being the example to our children? If they follow us, will we find will they find that they are that we were actually leading them to the Lord throughout their throughout their young lives? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. How many would say with a lifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, I know the Lord is my personal savior. I have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my savior. He has forgiven me of my sins. I can you can rejoice with me. I am saved. If that is you, would you raise your hand that I could see it in this room? It's bowed and eyes closed. Any hands? May I put them down? Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Ferguson, I have never, I've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me for, from my sin. And uh, I am not a saved person. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done a lot of